how do you take a big organization like a bank and say, now we've got to behave differently? Not a lot of people necessarily talk about data in the way of creativity. And I think that's really, really interesting. So to some extent, we've almost gone 10 years into the future and we're slowly working back. And welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And my name is Paul Fairweather. And we've changed up the way we're approaching this. We're now on a mission to capture ideas, stories and illustrations that matter. We think that's the key to getting people's ideas heard out there in the world. And this week's guest is the amazing Kate Young from ANZ Bank. She's the head of capability development for the marketing team and also head of customer centricity. It's a bit of a mouthful, but her job is about making sure that team stays at the top of their game, ready to respond to the challenges of tomorrow. And we were so keen to get her in because as a person inside a bank, we thought she might be constrained and it would be difficult to be creative. How wrong we were. Yeah, Chris. And look, she, she led us off with uh, an idea, a central idea, which is really about the future is upon us. Uh, and her job is about looking into the future, about what, what's happening now, what's going to be happening by 2024 and beyond. So it was a really interesting idea and a lot of stuff around AI. And she told us this lovely story, didn't she, which was about what a day in the life might look like in the year 2024. Um, even bring it to life with the thought that uh, she'd recently bought a puppy and perhaps a, an automatic monitor, if the puppy wasn't so well, would automatically call a vet. So a great story to bring that idea to life. And the third, the third um, leg on, on her discussion is around an illustration. And as you know, in, in the ideas and stories that matter, illustration is in inverted commas. It's easy for you to say that it's not necessarily a visual image. It can be a metaphor or, or a data point or a case study. And in this instance, uh, her illustri- illustration was around a metaphor about she ordered dog food and it arrived within two hours online. And now her expectation is that everything should allow 20, 24 hours or, or less within two hours to arrive at the door. So it was a great illustration of our expectations and the expectations of her customers. Let's get her in. Ideas, stories and illustrations from the amazing Kate Young. Kate Young, a huge welcome to The Common Creative. We're really excited to have you on our show. This is the beginning of a new season. And as you know, we've got a slightly different theme this time around. We're hoping to structure things around ideas, stories and illustrations. We'll see how well we go with this, but it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, Kate, Welcome. Now, Kate, you're, um, I hope you don't mind my saying, a senior player at ANZ Bank. You're head of customer centricity and also capability development for the marketing team. Um, and I, so I, I'm a customer of ANZ Bank. It's a bank I love very much indeed. Can I dive straight in with a question about creativity? Because when you think of banking, the word creativity doesn't instantly spring to mind. Um, do we want creative bankers or actually do we want them kind of following the rules and not being maybe creativity is a bad thing in a bank this is such a great question thanks so much for asking it um you know it's a really difficult one to to come up with a, a a very firm response because i think the answer is actually mixed 
I think any organization needs a mix of different types of people doing different types of, of roles. And indeed, banking is, is absolutely one of those industries. Yes, we, we need people following rules and process and ensuring that we're operating within, you know, the regulatory environment, but you also need creativity and you need creativity to better understand customers and better respond to their needs. So you can't have a bank without customers. Um, so creativity is actually really important. But, you know, to answer your question in a slightly different way, I wonder if it's actually about redefining what creativity actually means. So I think traditionally creativity has had um, a, a very uh, firm definition and, and largely we would probably think about that in terms of the work that our agency partners do for us. But I actually think the term creativity is becoming much broader and certainly some of the work I've been doing, you know, looking into um, the future of, of customers, the trends and drivers, you know, shaping um, the, the future of how customers behave and their expectations and the role that technology plays in their life, creativity starts to take on a much broader definition. That's a great, that's a great insight into that. Um, I mostly just wanted to take a one step back and in your introduction, you're the head of customer centricity. Um, I'm wondering what happens with the uh, eccentric eccentric uh, customers, which is a little bit what you're saying about, you know, centricity sounds to me a little bit sort of, what is centricity, uh, easy for you to say? Yeah, so I think, when, you know, when I took on this brief, you know, and I took on this role uh, at the start of 2019, so a few years ago now, and, and the brief to me was really around how do we help ANZ continue to be customer-centric? Uh, and for me, the, the role that I play is, is, is largely focused on um, teams within marketing or, or customer experience, people that are at the heart of the customer. And so for us, it was about saying, um, how do we help the bank ensure that every decision it makes is through a purely customer-centric lens? Um, and how do we do that by sort of accelerating the capability of the marketing team focused on what we believe will be the most appropriate and critical capabilities now and also into the future and creativity being one of those. So I think, you know, the, the two are intrinsically linked. So, um, you know, for us, it was about recognizing what customer centricity meant for the bank. Um, but more importantly, when you are putting the customer at the heart of what you do, uh, what capabilities are actually required of your employees to enable that to happen? So I'd love to hear more about that, Kate, because when you, when you get marketers in a kind of logical and a formal framework, they, what is marketing is they themselves would say it's all about you start with a customer you understand their needs and then you build brands or products or services to meet those needs so do they potentially say look we're already very customer centric how, how does somebody else whose job is to help them become more customer centric kind of interact how do they help them what, what, what does it what do you mean yeah. what do you do day to day i guess is what yeah so I, I think for us you know what we're really focused on is saying you know we recognize that you know marketing or indeed any function that's involved in in customer experience is not a static technicality you know if you think about 10 years ago for example when Oh, it's probably longer than 10 years ago now, actually, as I reflect, you know, when e-marketing became the big thing, we started actually emailing customers and this was this new capability. Um, you know, the reality is um, marketing and customer experience as, as technical functions are always evolving and are always changing because they have to rally around actually how the customer behaves and how what the customer expects. 
And really what we're facing into at the moment is a massive um, transformation around the way customers use and interact with technology in their day-to-day lives. And what that means is the role of marketing and customer experience is dramatically changing as well. And so for us, you know, we're not just saying, oh, well, we're customer-centric today. Yes, we know how to do our jobs and we do them really well. It's actually about us saying, well, what might we need to be doing in three or five years' time? How might the customer be be interacting with us? And, and what changes might we need to be making as marketers? And specifically what I'm talking about here is around, um, you know, the increasing uh, capability around personalization and the way we might go to market through AI and machine learning. So so that's where the, 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 the function and the technicality of these disciplines starts to look different and starts to change. And that's what we're trying to prepare people for and that's what we're thinking a lot about. Now, Kate, it's, those those letters, AI, both exciting and scary, I think. I'm wondering if we're nudging. We, we challenged you to think of a, an idea that you might like to share with our listeners. Are we nudging into that territory? What, what, yes. What's your big idea you wanted to share with us? So, look, I, I think it's, it's dramatically recognising that the world is changing and it's changing at a, at, at a far more rapid rate than we've ever seen before. And I think, you know, when I talk to people a lot about you know, the future or what a day in the life might look like in the future, I think it's very easy for people to dismiss it and to think, well, that's the future, that's not now. But really what we're talking about is a pretty big inflection point that's going to happen in around 2024. And this is a a, a year when people that have grown up with technology, so people that are far younger than me, so what we would call a digital native, so people that have had mobile phones always present in their life, have had the internet, you know, all of these things, haven't had to learn technology. That's when that uh, that proportion of the population actually uh, outnumbers those who have had to learn throughout their life. And so what that means is the way technology is used and adopted will dramatically change the way um, consumers behave, the expectations of consumers, and in response, um, you know, how brands and marketers and people involved in customer experience need to respond accordingly in, in order to, to remain relevant and competitive. So I think, you know, that's, that's such an interesting concept to be thinking about because, you know, when I look at, at some of my younger colleagues or peers or, or even younger family members or friends, I do see the way that they're interacting with, with technology quite different to, to the way I do. And, and it really is, um, I guess, no longer a channel, more so, uh, I guess, part of the fabric of society. Yeah, I, that, it's fascinating. I love the idea of kind of putting a deadline on it, 2024, because these changes happen apparently very slowly, day by day by day, and there's no moment in which we kind of go, we have to respond now. But I think by putting that peg in the ground, you're signaling to everybody, we have to change, we have to respond to this in some way. Um, I'd love, what, what does it mean? How, how do you how do you take a big organisation like a bank and say now we've got to behave differently? Now we've got to become something that we're not at the moment. And it's a really great point. Um, and to your point, it's not like we're just going to flick a light switch on and everything is going to dramatically change. The reality is we're preparing ourselves now for that for that reality in the future. So we have a roadmap in place. That, you know, over time we will be reskilling and upskilling, you know, our people so that they are able to respond to customers in the way that we're predicting customers will be behaving. So, um, that's really important to kind of be operating that two speed strategy saying, you know, we're, we're focused on people today, 
but we also have a hypothesis or a prediction of, of how the, the bank will be operating or how customers will be operating. And as a result, we're saying we're going to focus on certain critical capabilities that we might not have, have um, focused on previously that we believe will be essential um, to good marketing and, and to providing great customer experiences. And that's things like what you've already called out. That's creativity. Um, you know, that's empathy. That's great ethical management. That's master storytelling. So, you know, things that will really differentiate and provide to some extent a more human element um, to, to the way we interact with customers, which will become increasingly important. Um, Kate, I'm, I'm interested. You, you, there's a great lead-in. It was almost like you read our script. Uh, you mentioned storytelling there. And uh, as you know, we have a focus on storytelling. And both Chris and I are great storytellers. Do you have a story for us around you know this idea uh, that you're talking about around the AI and the, and the future capabilities, uh, either from your own experience or uh, you know in, in the process of implementing it? What I might do is actually tell a little bit of a story of what I think you know a day in the life might look like you know in let's say five or so years time. If, if that Fascinating. Works. Um, and, and I'm going. I mean, I don't have a script in front of me, so I'm just going to kind of you know. Think about it and, 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 and relay what it might look like. And, you know, as I said, when you tell stories like this, it's very easy to dismiss them. And whilst it's a prediction or a hypothesis of, of what the world might look like, some elements absolutely will be right. Um, and that is the abundance of data, the availability of data, the fact that data is really on the side of the consumer. And so that kind of changes the dynamic around how brands and consumers have traditionally, you know, interacted um, interacted with each other. Um, so if you were to think about this, you know, you wake up one morning, you know, all of your devices are synced. Um, you know, there's algorithms in place to predict what your day might look like. And there's a lot of work actually going on in the background, you know, even down to the fact that your robot vacuum knows to switch itself off at five to nine because it knows you have a really important meeting happening at nine. The fact that you're discussing the budget with your finance manager on that call and in the background, you know, Cortana is making um, updates to the data and the graphs real time as new information comes in. The fact that your devices know that at 12 p.m. you have a lunch meeting and it's already taken the liberty of ordering you an Uber or whatever the new Uber will be, you know, in, in the future. Um, you know, these things will absolutely, you know, be, become the reality. Um, and so what that means, so if, and that's kind of just a, a kind of a snippet of, um, the way that data and algorithms and AI will start to play, um, uh, I guess a more, a more, prominent role in our lives, even potentially without us noticing. So what we will start to see is sort of, you know, that that notion of beyond personalization, almost moving into anticipation. So the fact that that the smarts and the AI are almost predicting from past behaviors um, and from and from whatever algorithms and data they're collecting, what I might need and they're responding accordingly. You know, a great example is I just purchased, you know, a, a new puppy last week. It's all very busy. I'm at work. I've got that finance meeting at nine o'clock. You know, um, um, you know, various devices within my home have noticed that the dog isn't eating well and they've taken it upon themselves to organize a house call from the vet. You know, I mean, these things could actually happen. And I'm, I'm sort of, you know, obviously going a little, stretching it a little bit further for, for the sake of the story. Um, but you can appreciate how all of this might be just working in the background for you. Um, you know, even down to, and, and, you know, this is obviously, 
not possible today because of our regulatory environment, you know, but even down to if you think about banking, um, you know, Siri making a recommendation around a credit card that might be better suited for your needs. So, and Siri actually in the background making those changes for you. What's going to be happening when you start to think about the abundance of data and this world it actually can become quite complicated for people. And you almost start to move into, you know, that kind of notion of the paradox of choice. And so what you will start to see also, which, you know, is alarming for people in sort of marketing and customer experience roles, is that people may start to delegate some of their decision to intermediaries. So as I said, Siri or Cortana doing this for you, or, you know, simple decisions that you might have made in the past um, that could be influenced by organizations or by marketers might be taken away from you because you've decided to delegate simple tasks out to somebody else. So that creates a little bit of complexity um, in terms of, again, when you start thinking about emerging capabilities and, and the way that brands and marketers and customer experience people kind of need to respond and, and, and think differently in the future. Actually, I, I, when, you just, when you're describing this, you know, this future day and there's a whole thing about you know, life imitates art, as a child, my favorite TV show was The Jetsons. And yes, I, I don't know, yes. You may not remember. No, I sure do. No, it was one of mine as well. I remember watching it occasionally before school if my mum or dad would let me. I remember yeah. it fondly. And, but, you know, that particular thing about the dog, you know, because that's exactly, you know, the sort of things, you know, the dog had a remote control you know, feeding thing and all that stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I look at I think it's a really interesting, um, you know, observation that it's about the data, you know, and, and a lot of people talk about data. Not a lot of people necessarily talk about data in the way of creativity. Um, and I think that's really, really interesting. Um, I, I had a, a question uh, which might stretch you a little bit. Um, do you know what's, you know, you've got this goal 2024 to have these things in place and stuff. Are you thinking about what happens after that? Yes. Yes, to some extent, because the reality is at times it, it becomes quite scary because you're, you're planning for this kind of 2024, 2025, but you're also recognizing at the same time you're planning for that, you're planning for the next three years or because that rate of change is happening so quickly. So to some extent, we've almost gone 10 years into the future and we're slowly working back. So we've almost got a little bit of, I guess, a horizon plan or a roadmap in place to say, okay, your 2024 is going to kind of look like this, we think, but actually we think 2030 is going to look like this. So we're almost planning for your 2030 and even 2032 and, and, and working backwards. One thing that struck me about your description of the, the, the new world of AI and data is you didn't mention money. And I wondered, does this mean that our relationship with money is going to change or the bank's role in our lives will change, that it's going to be more about helping us make decisions, helping us make sense of data rather than it is specifically about money? Or is that just that you're setting the scene and then you go into, right, what role does money play within this world of AI? You're suggesting a data bank, Chris. Well, I'm just wondering if banks become your kind of, I know consultant's a terrible word, but sort of your your partner in helping you make decisions rather than a place where you store up some money and build up debt. I think if you start with the customer, you know, the, the, the commercials come from that. So, you know, yes, the, today the bank's proposition is, as you said, kind of a, a place to store money safely, um, a place to build wealth, a place to... Um, you know, achieve your financial goals, whether that's through loans or, or whatever, whatever you're trying to achieve. 
I, I don't necessarily think that the proposition changes. Um, more so, it's not the sole focus. You can't expect the customers just to come to you because that's what you're offering. It's about making sure um, that the the expectations of them, um, you know, the experience you you offer is the thing that that will drive the you know the loyalty and the advocacy. So I think it's about saying you know customer experience is the thing that you're going after. If you get that right, naturally, sort of you know the the, the broader kind of more tactical proposition just, just naturally fits. So this is important because I think you know in the last twenty years. You know, the banks and, and, and quite frankly, most big industry kind of has operated within their competitive set. Um, that's not going to be the case in the future. You know, you will now compete with everyone. And, and quite frankly, other organizations outside of your uh, category will also set uh, kind of the bar for what good customer experience looks like. And I tell you, Australia, I mean, um, you know, I ordered some pet food for my dog the other day. I ordered it at 10 a.m. and it was delivered to my door by midday that day. So now I'm thinking to myself, why isn't everything getting delivered in two hours? Like that's now my, you know, come on, I don't care if it's coming from, from England or wherever. It should just get here in two hours. Like this is now my, you know, my, my, um, my benchmark for great. And that's going to happen more and more. And we're seeing this a lot. We're seeing competition come from new, um, and quite frankly, unexpected, um, you know, areas. And there's, there's some case studies that I was preparing recently around, um, a, a company, a, a chat company from Korea, Kakao Chat. Um, and they actually, a few years back, launched into banking. Kakao Bank, they launched. Um, and literally within a year, um, you know, they, they were the, the number one bank within that market. Um, and that was because they had such loyal customers and provided such a wonderful experience through their, um, through their chat business that people just trusted them. Now they weren't a bank. And so that's really interesting for us. And then you think about, you know, companies like Amazon and we go, my gosh, like what if Amazon started selling credit cards and home loans? And mm. what might that mean? Because all of a sudden the model could look different. You could start thinking about, well, and I'll use Amazon and I, I don't know through and through exactly, you know, how their, their model works, but let me just make up something, which is, you know, imagine they said, you know, we make most of our margins out of Amazon Prime. And so let's say if we lock people into Amazon Prime for a three-year subscription, we'll give you, I don't know, a, a, you know, a free home one. I mean, that's completely not what would happen. But, but for the sake of the story, imagine that happened. Then what does that do to more traditional players it means you need to start thinking, you know, quite differently about things. And we've already seen Amazon uh, actually trialing um, car loans in, in India. So, you know, they're already starting to think about about this category. So, you know, really interesting. I guess you could argue their access to data is better as well. They would know what kind of TV shows you watch. They would know the kind of things it's you more buy. Holistic, there. Yeah. We, yeah. And they have yeah. an incredible amount of capital as well. So, uh it is a very curious thing, and, and that's that's incredibly interesting. It's nothing that I've never ever thought about that. That's uh, that is really going to be a, a huge challenge. Um, it's sort of becoming the Uber banking, isn't it? Is it uh, yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. Okay, I want to go back to this this our kind of our core thing of creativity, um, and it, you and I and um, I, I work with some of the teams at ANZ to to teach creativity and storytelling and those kind of. They're called soft skills. I think they're underselled them. I think they're vital for helping people respond to change. Um, what else goes on inside your team to kind of keep that creative 
flexible vibe happening? How do you stop people sort of turning up at work at nine, answering emails and leaving at five again? What, what, what goes on? Great question. And, and look, a lot, a lot goes into sort of the culture, um, you know, within our teams to get people sort of realizing that the world isn't static. Um, so there's, there's a big cultural piece here, you know, that we, we don't really have that sort of culture where people are just sort of turning up and, and, um, you know, doing, doing the basics and, and, and leaving. I think, you know, we've got teams that are really, you know, hungry to do amazing work, really passionate about the customer. Um, and, and also through the work that, you know, myself and the team have been pioneering, you know, do recognize, you know, the, the need to evolve and to change and, and are really excited about learning something new, taking on new capabilities and doing something different. So, you know, for us, it's a lot about not just delivering the thing, but also really ensuring that we have a strong culture that's ready to embrace that. Just as a lead in there, and maybe you've described it in talking about the team, but what's your passion? What's your driver? Oh, look, so much. I mean, I, I feel like I've got the best the best role ever, you know, and I would say in my, you know, 20 plus year career, this is absolutely the best role I've ever had because ultimately I get to wake up every day and to think about ways to help people have fulfilling, sustainable and, and motivating careers. So that's, like that's amazing, right? Like, you know, what, what better thing to be doing than to be hopefully making a difference in people's lives and helping them, you know, have just a great career, but more importantly, have a career that's going to be sustainable. Um, actually, it's really interesting. And in, in terms of, you know, creative work, I've always found in my own experience that I either making something or I'm empowering someone else to make something, you know, is, is the work that I remember and the work that I was creative and just to bring it back to, you know, the creative aspect. So that, that's really interesting and a great insight. Yeah, it's, it, it really is great. And I've been doing it now for three years and, you know, I still wake up, you know, every day thinking, wow, what, what am I going to be doing today? You know, what can we be doing to evolve this program? And so what I'm excited about is that, you know, making a meaningful difference in people's lives today, but also, you know, through kind of the work I've been doing around, you know, the future, you know, it's not just about today. It is about, you know, helping people, you know, for, for the long term and ensuring that we're kind of at the forefront of, of best and next practice. And so this is a great place to have a career. Okay, I, I know how sincere you are about that point that you, you, I've heard you say it before. I can tell from the tone of your voice that how passionate you are about kind of helping people develop great careers. Um, and, and good on you for finding a role that fits so closely with what you love. Um, but what, if people are listening in, maybe there's somebody listening going, Oh, I'm in a bit of a rut here. Any tips on keeping your career I'm not just talking about getting promoted, but keeping keeping fulfilled, keeping vibrant, keeping energized at work. I think it's ultimately about finding your passion. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? Um, it's it's hard to find sometimes, and sometimes you sort of trip over it without even realizing, you know, it, it was your it was your passion. I just would encourage people, you know, stay really open, read a lot, meet new people. Um, you know, if you're, if you've been in a role or an organization, you know, for, for a certain period of time, make sure you have some external focus, you know, um, attend different events, expand your network, you know, connect with people that might be different to you, challenge your own perspectives. And, and ultimately, I think if, if you start just doing some of those small things, which are really achievable, 
Um, you know, you, you may find your passion if you haven't found it already, but I would encourage people within the roles that they have today to try to bring in, you know, the thing that does, that does fulfill them and, and to almost evolve their role to ensure that they can do that within it. Okay, I hope we're going to see that book. That, that was a remarkable list you just gave us, <laughs> and a really exciting one. Meet new people, maintain an ex- external focus, go to events, make new connections, um, keep an external perspective. I can see a chapter. You, you've got, you've got the, the formula right there. It's phenomenal. Um, and Paul and I know from our work on creativity that one of the secrets of getting new ideas is to make new connections between different bits of your brain. And that definitely doesn't come from sitting looking at a laptop. Uh, it comes from meeting new people, getting out there and forcing the brain to go, you know, I never connected that beautiful tree with the way I serve as a customer or I never connected that person with something that helped me with this challenge I'm working on. So that's uh, good. Um, I'm very much looking forward to that. <laughs> Kate, I think, um, and sadly, that's how time is up. And uh, But a, a great ending, ending for the discussion for the promotion of your upcoming book, I, better, I, better get, better get, I didn't know I was writing one, but I better get cracking on that, Ben. You better get cracking on that. I just launched it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, look, I too, you know, I think that whole thing about external focus, and I think a lot of a lot of businesses miss that, and I think it's the most important thing. It's a way for people to practice their creativity in a safe space. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of like neuroscientists that play the violin or write poetry, and, you know, so and, and they all say it's incredibly important to their thinking work to have that to that, that external thing. So. Um, Kate, thank you so much. It's been a very interesting conversation, and I know we spoke about before about what where it's going to go. And as Chris said, well, we don't really know where it's going to go. And I'm, I, I'm assuming youth went well. I don't know if I was going to go there, but uh, it's been really, uh, really fabulous. So thank you very much for being a guest on the Common Creative today. Thanks. Thank you from me as well, Kate. Very exciting talking to someone inside banking about creativity. I hope you have a wonderful time with your new puppy as well. (laughs) Really appreciate you coming on board. Thanks so much for having me. If you are interested in our new program, Ideas and Stories That Matter, check out our website at twocommoncreatives.com to find out more about how to hire Chris and I as facilitators for your business for a tailored program around Ideas and Stories That Matter. And also check out what's coming up in the future online. That's right. It's a brand new initiative. It's to help people get their ideas heard so the world takes notice. It's interactive. It's informal. Uh, it's all about getting your ideas out there. Uh, so we do hope you to join us. It's available as workshops or as online week-by-week programs. So it's available for everyone to get involved. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like not to miss any future episodes, please subscribe. And if you subscribe, it helps others find us. And a huge thank you to Zane Weber, our audio engineer, to Michaela Rock, our producer. I'm Chris Meredith. We'll see you next week. I'm Paul Fiona. Join us then. <laughs>